Good morning. How are you going? Don't fellowship too much. You might enjoy yourself. I'm, uh, I'm Matt, and we are in, um, we're in week three uh, of preparing for stakeholders. I'm really excited about next week. And uh, we've been, I've just been doing a bit of groundwork to try and um, prepare us for next week. So hang in there. You've only got one more week with Matt um, before, um, before Pete uh, presents the stakeholders. So uh, we started week one, a couple of weeks ago, we started with the nature of God and understanding who God is and how that actually changes the way um, we respond to him and changes the way we live our lives, um, helps us to navigate. And then last week we looked at the nature of his church and, and community and the way we should operate together as a community. Um, and today we're going to land with the nature of his people and looking at us and who we are and um, trying to understand how we are to live so you may be hearing, you may be looking back at the last couple of weeks and just going, I'm hearing you, Matt, uh, like, I get it, I, I can hear it, but I'm just not there, just not there in my heart. This is all in hopes of us refocusing our hearts and our schedules and our money and our relationships to reflect God and our true nature, who we truly are. So today I hope to awaken you to your new identity. I also hope for God's strength. Um, because it's, it's hard. Last um, this morning was really hard. It's um, it's a really difficult message to preach. So I ask that um, you'll be opening your hearts to receive God's word, and that um, He'd be giving me strength to share. So we're going to start in Romans one. This will be our, our main text for the morning, and we'll be working through this and jumping across to a few other texts. But if you've got a Bible or a, or an app, you can keep it open to Romans one. It says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Just to rub it in, not just images of man, but just creeping things. Uh, That's a tragedy right there. And we are going to pick our way through uh, that verse and, and attempt to understand the depth of that tragedy. I hope you see that. I hope you read that and you read, read some of the verses like, although they knew God, they did not honor him. That right there, that's a tragedy. And we're going um, to have a close a look of that. So I've got four, um, four elements that I want to try and communicate today. And the first one, we, are, um, we just talk about a lot at the project because we think it's really important. Uh, the first uh, element out of this uh, text is that you are a worshipper. Um, if you notice there, right at the end of um, verse 23, it says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we're very clear about our understanding of people here at the project. We believe that we were made as worshippers. So worship's not, it's not something you've just done this morning in church, but it's something that you are. Worship is something that you are continually doing. Worship's the garden hose that doesn't turn off. 
It's just, you're just spraying. You're just, I'm worshipping over here, I'm worshipping over here. You're just worshipping all the time. So it's not a question of whether you are worshipping or not. It's a question of who or what you're worshipping. So, so originally, God's good design was that we would worship only Him and enjoy only Him and know and delight in Him. But instead, we rebelled and we turned against Him in sin. And instead, we chose to worship something else. So looking, this passage illustrates that, doesn't it? So they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. So they're worshipping. All they're doing is they're just switching what they're worshipping, right? It's, it's really clear to say, but it's really important to start with that to try and set us on the right trajectory. So, so as it stands, you are a relentless or an unceasing worshipper. You are just... You're just uncontrollable. You're just pouring out worship all the time and that is not stopping anytime soon. Sin in your heart turns you away from the goodness of God to worship false idols. Now just to clarify, just to, just to kind of finish on that, how stupid is that, right? Like it, that is, it is really stupid to turn away from the goodness of God and the glory of God and his, his kindness towards us and to worship false idols. So if you think about it, if we were made, our design, the way we were put together was to image God. If we were made like that, it actually goes against our design to worship something else. It, it, it tears us apart. It fractures our design. It's almost as if you were tearing your limbs off because you, you're breaking your design when you worship something else because we are defacing the image. Second, now we'll spend a little bit more time here in these next two points. Um, we'll, we'll kind of tunnel down a bit uh, into these. You are, you are a depraved worshipper. Don't follow your heart. This is out of verse um, 19 at the start. The second part of it there says, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Stevie Wonder um, has got a little jingle for us this morning. I'm not going to sing it for you um, because you would all leave. Um, but uh, let me read it. It says this, and um, enjoy. Though you're unsure, why fight the tide? Don't think so much. Let your heart decide. You must be true to your heart. That's when the heavens will part. Open your eyes. Your heart can tell you no lies. Why second guess what feels so right? Just trust your heart and you'll see the light. Now, it's no, it's no wonder that Disney used it because it's just about perfect uh, rhyming in that. So um, very tacky, but, uh, but good on him. Anyway, I hope, that, um, I hope that sets off warning bells in you. I hope that you read something like that and you're just going, mm, yeah, that doesn't really sound right. Your heart can tell you no lies. Wow, really? Okay, we're going we're gonna to go to some scriptures in a second, but we believe that people are embodied souls who always live out of their hearts, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you are constantly worshipping because of sin. Your heart, your worshipping heart will deceive you time and time again and lead you in all of the wrong directions. Let me, um, let me expand on that. Matthew 5.18. So your heart will tell you no lies, says Stevie Wonder. But um, the Bible has something else to say. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. It's what's inside of you that defile you. 
Jeremiah 17.9, just to clear it up for you in case you were still on the edge. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What's he saying there? He's going, that is so much of a mess. I'm just going hands off. I don't get it. Who can understand it? That is just, just really ironic how messed up that is. Okay, So the heart is a sick, sick thing. So let me summarize again. We'll just keep summarizing to try and keep you there. You are a worshiper born into sin who can no longer trust their heart. You cannot trust your heart due to the corruption of sin. Let me take it a little bit further. Verse 19 again in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So you are unable to do good. Sin shatters God's design for us. And because of that brokenness, we become depraved. Romans 3 says it like this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have come worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's... um. Like, is that clear enough? Like, is that, is that, his language is pretty straightforward there, right? It's like, there's not, there's not a hole or like a back door around that verse. It's, it's a pretty clear understanding. So there's no good thing in you. Now, now let me clarify. When I say good, there's no good thing in you. I mean, I'm referring to ultimate good. So um, think of it like this. Think of like, um, you were made as a mirror. You were made to image and reflect God. A beautiful mirror. When a mirror does its job correctly or rightly, or when it does its job truly, you image the person in front of the mirror. And in, in our situation, namely, that is, is God. We image God. When we work truly, like we, when we work like we were truly designed, we reflect God. But sin has just bought a, a whopping sledgehammer and just smashed straight through the middle of that thing, and it is shattered. It is absolutely shattered outside of Christ. So it's shattered. Just imagine the picture. There's, there's hundreds of pieces. Now, it, it still reflects, but you will only see small, broken, uh, misplaced images of the original, uh, of the person standing in front of it, right? So the image is still there. It's just not very clear. And it's not a true image, to clarify. So let me, let me illustrate that. You'll see people outside of Christ do good things, good things, so like, like charitable work and giving to those in need and, and mercy ministries. That's good, isn't it? That's a really good thing to do. But um, it's not ultimate good. That's only found inside of Christ. It's not ultimate good. No one does good of themselves. It is the residual image of God. So we twisted God's design when we choose to worship something else and we continue to do it every day. It is not a small attitude in the church that believes that men are good and God helps them to get better. That is a compelling lie. Do not fall for that. Let me read this for you. Michael Kelly says this. He says, Christianity isn't a crutch for the weak. It's a stretcher for the dead. The gospel does not claim to help the weak. It does not claim to help the weak. It claims to make the dead live again. 
So we reject the notion of the crutch of Christianity because we don't need something to help us walk along. We don't need to be deceived like that. We need something to make us truly alive. So you are unable to do ultimate good outside of Christ. You can do good in the sense that you can still reflect God by God's grace. You can still, even as a shattered mirror, reflect small portions of His image, but you're unable to do ultimate good and reflect Him truly. Second thing about our depravity is your sin is a deliberate action. It's, it's not like when I walk into the room of my daughter and um, she deliberately disobeys me. It's not like that, those innocent kind of eyes she gives me and that little smile and that kind of like, it was an accident, Dad. The wipes, I was laying in my bed, sleeping like a good child, and the wipes magically came out of the container and covered the entire room. And the chalk magically came out of the container and drew all over the cot. Like, Dad, it was amazing. It was like Aladdin in here. You know, the genie was kind of doing something. So it's not like that. It wasn't an accident. It was a deliberate act against God. Sin, sin was the vehicle that you entered into, slammed on the, on the gas pedal and drove away from God's truth. Sin is like the glasses that you actively put over your eyes to say, God, I would prefer to view the world this way. I would rather have things my way, thank you. It's not an accident. To take that a step further, your sin is a deliberate action to suppress the truth of God. That's what it's doing. In sin, you are blinded to the glorious truth of God. You actively suppress it. You are bucking against it. It's, it's like, just imagine a, a spring, a compressed spring. The nature of a spring, it was made to be extended. But in sin, it's like you are fighting against your nature and trying to compress it. You're just, you're just fighting. It's work. It's hard work. So you're blinded to the glorious truth of God. The deeper you move towards sin, the, the, the more there's a severing of this relationship. So you're knowing God and you're not honoring Him and you're not for giving thanks, that more, that there's a greater level of insanity and perversion of the mind. We become so depraved and blinded, the glasses become so thick over our eyes that we actually get to the point where we lose the pleasure of sin. So your sin is a rejection of God's good, freeing truth and a shackling to self. No thanks, I'm fine. I would prefer to live this way. John Piper says this, Knowledge of God is repulsive to sin. Sin does not love to glorify God. Sin does not love to thank God. Sin hates glorifying God and thanking God. Sin hates the truth of God, suppresses it, and exchanges it for what sin loves and worship. Sin loves to worship and serve the creature, not the creator. That's the root of sinning. So sin is all about suppressing the truth of God. Second last one about depravity. We are dead in sin. Outside of Christ, sin reigns. There, outside of Christ, there is not a breath of life in you. Like there's nothing. There's not a heartbeat. It's not like the man in intensive care where the doctors are kind of going, he might make it. Like we'll just give him a time. Might make it. It's not that. It's like, uh, it's like the... Um, the kangaroo roadkill on the way to Emerald, it's just like, you just, you just, it's like a steamroller has rolled this thing flat and it's just like, 
It's been mauled by wild animals. Like, I'm not even checking for a pulse. It's like, it's really obvious. Okay, so it's dead. There's not a breath of life in you uh, outside of Christ. Ephesians 2.1 says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Dead. Is that clear? So because of sin, you're dead. A dead man doesn't do a really good job of um, obedience or, or, or praise or, or good work, right? It's, we are dead in sin. Okay, last one about depravity. Just take a deep breath because I know it's pretty heavy. Verse 19 says, from Romans 1, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God, according to his perfect and just nature, is in light of sin, is storing up wrath against humanity. And we deserve that because of sin. In, in the meantime, God, in his mercy, has withheld his wrath from us and, uh, and instead extends to us common grace. To, um, and and to, to walk through the consequence of sin. So he doesn't see sin and just pour out his wrath straight away. He, 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 in his mercy, withholds it and instead extends his common grace and allows us to walk through the consequence of sin. So anything good that exists in you outside of Christ is the grace of God. It's the grace of God at work. So when you see people doing good things, it's the grace of God at work. It's His grace that allows them to continue to image Him, to continue to be a reflection outside of Christ. James 1 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It is all from God. Any good that exists outside of Christ is the grace of God at work. We do nothing but sin, and we deserve nothing but wrath. Now, last step, let's look at the, mecha the mechanism that's at work behind this, just to drive it home before we move forward. Now, you're going, look, you've driven it home, Matt. Like, you've crashed the car through the garage. We get it, okay? That's just back off. Um, but I'm just going to go a little bit further. Right? I'm just going to kind of drive through to the land room just to make sure we're really, really home, okay? You're a responder. There is a war going on inside of you. Romans 1, um, right in the middle there, says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So you are constantly responding to God's reality. It's not a question of whether you are responding or not. It's a question of how you are responding. So again, we were made, our design was to know God and for that to transfer to honor and thanksgiving, right? You see, there's a, there's a transfer there. That was the original design, but sin has broken the link. It's shattered that. So now, in our current state, we have the ability to know God and rather than transfer that to honor and, and uh, thanksgiving, we choose to honor something else and insult God and sin against Him. 
So, so sin has perverted our knowledge of God. And, uh, and we're blind. So that the knowledge of God doesn't find fruition in thanksgiving like it should. But it um, finds fruition in worship of something else. As an example, when you respond to a situation in fear, say, you are, say you're withholding the truth from a relationship that really needs to hear the truth, it's likely that there is a mechanism in there that's saying that God's promises are not enough to sustain you. And you choose instead of trusting God's promises and speaking the truth, you choose instead to submit to fear and to trust fear and to worship fear. Another example, when you respond to a situation with impatience, um, for example, say your child isn't responding to the discipl- to, 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 to discipline like they should. Um, can I get an amen from parents? That's, that's every parent. They're just, just not where I'd quite like them to be or at all where I want them to be because they're wild. Um, or a friend. You know, you're trying to love a friend and trying to communicate the truth to them and they're just not getting it. You've got a couple of options. You crack the whip on their workspace righteousness and, uh, and it's likely that you're saying, I would rather be in control of the situation and myself move them to this place instead of trusting that God is in control and he works with perfect timing and he is, um, you know, he's on a mission there. So you're choosing to submit to and trust yourself and your own control rather than God. So there is a war going on inside of you. The Bible, um, the New Testament uh, talks about this war as the flesh and the spirit. And there's a constant tension there. Paul gives us a really good example of this in Romans 7. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not, sorry, now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who does it. Or I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's a war there. You see that? There's a war that's going on. 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see that? So again, the, the test isn't whether you respond or not. It's how you respond. You're just right in the middle of a war and it's not whether you're in a war or not. It's how you're going to fight and how you're going to respond. Let me give you a few uh, examples. So to do this, let's look at the difference between temptation and sin. I think it's helpful to kind of split this up. Um, temptation is, is knowing. I feel, for example, I feel within me a strong desire to be angry or to become angry. I know it. You know, you can recognize it. You can just feel that tug. Like there's just this strong pull. I really want to be angry. That's temptation. Sin is acting on that. Just lashing out in anger. Sin. You see the difference there? Let me give you some examples. Uh, a man returns home after a really long, tiring day at the office. Um, he, he walks in the door uh, and the house is a mess. It's absolutely trashed. 
Like he trips over a, a bucket of kids' toys and on his way falling down to the ground, he sees the couch covered with dirty laundry and turns his head and there's banana peels all over the floor and dirty dishes on the sink and it's just filthy. And, and straight away, right at that moment, he, he feels within him this pull. He feels, I feel like hugely tempted to, tempt, tempted, sorry, tempted to become very angry, right? So he sees it and he's just going, whoa, I'm, I just got this pull. Like everything in me or a large part of me wants to be really angry. Um, does that make sense? Anyone experience that? Like it's rising. It's just like, you know, like it's, I want to be really angry. He sees it and he feels it. That's temptation. Now, he's, he's at a fork. He's just kind of at a crossroads right now. He knows the truth of God. He knows the promises of God. He knows that God is slow to anger and that God is merciful and God is compassionate and forgiving iniquities. You know, he knows that. He knows that in his head. So he has the choice to resip, resist temptation and remember God's promises and, uh, and, and do this transfer, do this transfer from knowing God to honoring and thanking Him. That's, that's option A. Option B is I'm just going to fall right into sin and I'm going to indulge in that temptation and I'm going to lash out in anger at my wife. That's the war that's going on. And in doing that, he just cuts off that transfer. You know, he knows it. He knows the truth of God, but he's just cutting it off. He's going, I don't want to honor that right now. I want to honor my anger, and I'm going to choose to submit to that because that might get me some more results. Let me give you another example. You remember that, um, that big hunk at the end of Genesis? Joseph. Listen to the first verse. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, we're, you know, we're not just talking about any old ordinary farmer here. Like We're talking about Joseph, all right? So just set the scene. So he's doing the sweeping, and all the girls are like walking into poles because they're too busy looking sideways at his biceps, right? They're just kind of just like just tripping over stuff. So this guy's, a, this guy's a hunk, okay? This guy's bait. That's what he is. So Genesis 39, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his, wife, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. You know, that's kind of like a... That kind of, that, she's casting and she's going, lie with me. Uh, and, and he says, he, he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put, me, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. So you see the fork there? He's been tempted and his knowledge of God has transferred to worship, right? He's tempted and there is a desire in him being a man. There is a temptation to sin, right? There's a pull there. But he's going, I'm not doing that. I am going this way and I'm going to instead choose to honor God. I'm going to give thanks to God rather than fall into sin. So knowing God, I hope this is really clear, knowing God, that knowledge of God should always transfer to worship. So you don't want to be doing what they did in Romans. For they knew God and they did not honor him or give thanks. That is a tragedy right there. Knowing God, knowing the beauty and the supremacy of God and just going... I'm all right, thanks. 
I'd rather do this. I hope you can see that. So at this point, you are likely agreeing in your mind. It's going, yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, absolutely. But you know in your heart that you are weak. Even as a Christian, there remains in my heart so much resistance to the goodness of God. There, is, there are things pulling me in every other direction and there's a war going on inside. The reality of sin is crushing. I hope it is. I hope it is crushing for you. Um, but the good news is that we don't have to bear that. The last point here is that you are restored. And Romans 1, in uh, verse 22, I think that one is, it says, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So claiming to be wise will make you a fool, but I want to suggest that claiming to be a fool is going to make you wise. The truth is that you are a fool. You are just, I'm just stuck in sin. But you've got a wise, loving, redemptive father. So you need to really clearly recognize your own sin and your own stupidity and feel the weight of that in order to truly see the goodness of God's mercy upon you. Because that's, you know, the more you're seeing this, the more clearly you're seeing this, right? The more you're feeling that weight day by day, oh man, I just, I just can't get it right. And the more you wrestle with that, the more you're going, but how good is that, right? How good is the mercy of God? How good is that? He keeps forgiving me. He keeps pouring out his goodness on me. The more you see this, the more that will transfer to that. Romans, um, Romans 8 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is saying this on the tail end of talking about this wrestling of flesh and spirit. So he's finishing this kind of this war by saying this. So he's going, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's going, I know there is a war going on in your heart. But if God is for us, who can be against us? God the Father, in view of our sin, while we were dead in our trespasses, gave us his Son in order to redeem us. More than that, even more. I love that Paul says this. He says uh, here, but gave him up for us all, comma, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It didn't stop with Christ. God is still going. God is still pouring out uh, his blessing upon you. He's still pouring out, pouring out his mercy upon you. What a great father. So not only, not only are you seeing and savoring Christ, you're seeing even more than that, his daily provision for you, his daily provision of compassion and mercy and kindness and tenderness. A great father. So this to say that in Christ you have a new identity. In Christ you have new, new desires. So you don't have to pursue those old desires anymore. You're not a slave to sin any longer. So the cure for our sin and folly is worship of the one true God. A repentant heart, aware of his foolishness that turns to God and cries out for grace. This can sound like two things. 
This can sound like firstly um, praise, with praise which says, God, I know you through the Bible and the Holy Spirit. I can see it and I love it and I love it and I want it more. And that, and that, that thanksgiving and that honor and just that thank you for your work. Thank you for your power. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for turning me away from sin. That You can see that transfer. They're just moving straight from knowing God to saying thank you. I love it. That's praise. The other, the other way that can look like is faith. And that is saying, God, I know you through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. I can see you, but I'm not sure that I love you. Like, I want to do this transfer, but I just, I'm not sure. I, I don't feel it. And that's the, call of, that's the call of faith. There are desires in my heart, God, that are trying to pull me away and are trying to turn my worship to something else. That's what Paul's saying. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to do it? Wretched man that I am. And he says after that, that thanks be to God. That's that. There's a, there's a call of faith. There's praise. There's I'm there or there's I'm not there, but I really want to be there. At both levels, there is an active faith in the person and work of Christ. Psalm 42 verse 4 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My hope for you, just to summarize, my hope for you and for me as a Christian is that there would be a continual movement from knowing God to honoring Him and thanking Him. That, that, that sin would not cut that off for you. That we would continue to see the depth of our own wretchedness and, uh, and through that rejoice at the greatness of God's grace. That we would with faith in God's redeeming power worship our way out of sin. That we'd turn back to God and turn to His all-satisfying pleasures. Particularly in moments where we can't see it. Because that's faith, right? I can't see it, but I, I just want to trust in you. Tim Keller says this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. So it's bad. Like the, it, the, the news is really bad. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. All right, just to finish, we are going to finish, we're going to finish by singing together. Um, I'm going to play a, a track and I've got some words and I'll put them on the screen for you. you. You've probably never heard it, but I want us to, in faith, attempt that movement right now. I want us to attempt that movement from knowing God and knowing His Word and knowing the truth of it and to move, to do that transfer to praise and to honor. So I want us to put it into action right now. Um, the, the song was written about Psalm 42, the psalm that I just showed you, which... Um, which is that, um, go back to it just so you can see it again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? That's the first bit, right? It needs to transfer. Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation. And the song, um, the song, the chorus says this. You are everything my heart wants. My heart runs. My heart runs after you. Now, that is a huge call because if, if you're honest with yourself, that's not the case a lot of time. That's just, just like, I am lying when I sing this song. You know, there's a part of you that's just like, there's a lot of the time where he's not everything my heart wants. 
But this is a call of faith. This is a call of faith to turn your worship to Christ and to reorient, to reorient you and restore your true self, a new creation.